This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Let George Do It was an American radio drama series produced from 1946 to 1954 by Owen and Pauline Vincent. Bob Bailey starred as private investigator George Valentine. Don Clark directed the scripts by David Victor and Jackson Gillis. Clients came to Valentine's office after reading a newspaper that carried his classified ad, which read, Personal Notice. Dangers my stock in trade. If the job's too tough for you to handle, you've got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. And the newspaper ad varied from show to show, but always opened with Danger is my stock in trade and closed with Write full details. The few earliest episodes were more sitcom than private eye shows with a studio audience providing scattered laughter. The program then changed into a suspenseful Tough Guy Private Eye series. Sponsored by Standard Oil of California, now as Chevron, uh, George Valentine was a professional detective. His secretary was Claire Brooks, a.k.a. Brooksy. John Heisted was the program's announcer. The background music was supplied by Eddie Dunstetter, initially with a full orchestra, and when television supplanted radio as the country's primary home entertainment, radio budgets got skimpier and skimpier and Dunstetter's orchestra was replaced by an organ, played by Dunstetter. Gee, that emotion must have hurt, but a budget's a budget. Here's the episode entitled Penthouse Roof. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invites you to Let George Do It. Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice. Danger is my stock and trade. If the trouble you're in is way off the beaten track and you need help that's strictly confidential, you've got a job for me. George Valentine. Write full details. Uh, dear sir, you employed the word confidential in your advertisements. Uh, well, I need confidential help. My enthusiasm for birds has led me into a predicament. I was watching starlings, but I saw something that was never meant to be seen, and it keeps haunting me, if I really saw it. Unless my eyes deceive me... My eyes deceive me. I was the witness, the only witness, to an outrageous crime. There's nothing more I can say in a letter. Please contact me at once, and it's signed Elliot... 
Wormsley. <laughs> Wormsley. That sounds like a name on a Dickens. Elliot Wormsley, M.S., Ph.D., Statistical Services, Baxter Building. Birdwatcher, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of canaries is this statistician interested in anyway? Oh, stop kidding, George. That's a pretty grim phrase. I was the only witness to an outrageous crime. Yeah, and he's in a predicament. That's a twist. What was it he could have seen? I don't know, Brooksy, but let's see what we can see. Let's drop in on Dr. Wormsley. <laughs> These are the binoculars, Mr. Valentine. They're the ones I used to watch starlings on that penthouse roof down there. Uh-huh. But that's almost three blocks away, Dr. Wormsley. Yeah, I know. The river house, huh? Pretty swanky. Golly, George. You can see halfway around the world with these binoculars. All right, Angel. Stop playing. Uh, back to you, Dr. Wormsley. So you looked for starlings and saw a killer hawk. Eh? Uh, something like that, Mr. Valentine. Okay. Now, just what was this outrageous crime? What did you see that you shouldn't have seen? Uh, Murder. Oh, I guess I dropped your binoculars, Doctor. Did you say murder? Uh, I, I can't be sure. Uh, but I just trained my eyes down there, as I've been doing for weeks. And in that instant, I'm almost certain I saw a man push another man off the roof. Uh, of course, he had his back to me. What do you mean, almost certain, Dr. Wormsley? Well, it, it, it was over in a second. And I, I didn't expect to see what I think I saw. Besides, uh, statistics show that the element of error in visualization over a hundred yards is 14 to a thousand. Yeah, well, we'll take your word for that. But why didn't you go to the police with this story? Oh, no, no, Mr. Valentine. I'm a modest man, and I don't like publicity. Besides, I'm coming up for the presidency of my club. And, uh, well, so many people think bird-watching is, uh, well, uh, a little peculiar. Yes, I know. You wouldn't make it. But murder is a very serious business. Uh, Mr. Valentine, if I'd seen any mention of what I suspected in the newspapers, I would have volunteered this information to the police. But as it is, no crime has been reported. That's right, George. I didn't see anything about it. Still, the picture of those two men keeps haunting me. I I'm thinking of my reputation, but I, I do have some public spirit, and I have to make sure... My conscience wouldn't let me rest if I didn't. Oh, I see. And you want me to check at the river house and soothe your conscience. That's it, young man, precisely. It uh, shouldn't take you more than a day, and I'm uh, willing to pay your usual fee. <laughs> okay, it's a deal, Wormsley. Oh, Brooksy. Yes, George? Just on a hunch, get out of the Bureau of Missing Persons. See Finley. Okay. Find out if anybody's been reported missing from the river house. You will keep my name out of this, won't you? Oh, yes, we'll do our best, Professor. I'll meet you back here later, Brooksy. Okay, George. I'm going over to the river house. Oh, you're very fortunate, Mr. Valentine. Penthouse B is vacant, and it's only $5,400 a year. Yeah, a point of information, Mr. Stevens. As I get it, the uh, sun deck of this wing facing the river is for the exclusive use of Penthouse A and B. Oh, it's very private. And Penthouse A is occupied by the Dunlaps, Philip Dunlap, the broker. So that would put you in very good company and only $5,400 a year. Well, I was thinking of something a little better, but uh, I'll let you know. Look who went and rang my doorbell. Wouldn't be the fuller brush man, would you? (laughs) 
Not unless my samples are showing. <laughs> well, come on in anyway. I hope you'll pardon the sunsuit. I wasn't expecting company. Oh, it's nothing at all. I mean, practically. I was out on the roof sunbathing. And Mrs. Dunlap? That's right. Well, I'm the chaplain. It's been a dull afternoon. Suppose we wait a while before you tell me what you want. Hmm? Well, as a matter of fact... You aren't going to stand there, are you? Here, sit down. <clears throat> Uh, the truth is, Mrs. Dunlap, I may be your next-door neighbor in Penthouse B. Oh? Well, that would be the first improvement they've made in River House without raising our rent. <laughs> I thought it'd be a nice gesture to sort of drop in on my possible neighbors and introduce myself. Hmm. There is a Mr. Dunlap, isn't there? Uh, yes, but you needn't worry about him. He hasn't been home for two days. Oh, just like that, huh? Well, that's Philip for you. Thank heavens. He must have decided to go up to our cabin in the mountains to brood. Or he may be staying at his club. Mm. But as I said, this looked like a dull afternoon. We're not going to let it be one, are we? Ah. Oh, fine. That wouldn't be Philip. He has his key. Well, whoever it is, just explain I'm looking at the penthouse next door. Hal. Listen, Paula, we haven't heard from Philip yet, and there are letters and contracts he has to sign downtown. All right, Hal. I'm not my husband's keeper. Oh, just the same. I thought you might be worried. Oh. Oh, I... Didn't know you were having company. Well, this gentleman may be our next-door neighbor, I hope. Uh, Mr. The name's Valentine. Really, Paula? At least now you know his name. Oh, Mr. Valentine, this intense young man is my husband's secretary, Hal Sterrett. How do you do? I don't know what you're going to do, Paula, but I'm going to call the police and report Philip missing. Uh, Please do that, Hal. I'd feel so much better. Lord, how I hate righteous men, especially when they're young. So petulant. Well, where were we, Mr. Valentine? Uh, I was just about to leave. Uh, A mood is a very fragile thing, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, you've been right neighborly, Mm ma'am. Goodbye. I don't think it's goodbye. Anyway, it was very nice even not having known you. Valentine. Uh, Mr. Valentine. Mm. Oh, Dr. Wormsley. I, I was waiting for you to come out of the river house. But why? I thought you made it a point you were to be the unknown factor in this deal. Uh, well, uh, after you left, I, I did some calculating. Yeah, good for you, good for you. There must be a way of getting into this empty lot without climbing over that fence. And in my calculations, I discovered that the odds against anything as extraordinary as this happening to an ordinary man like me would be about uh, uh, 14,000 to 1. Mm, you don't say. Uh, so if you don't mind, Mr. Valentine, I'd, I'd sort of like to uh, tag along with you and see if I'm really that one in 14,000. Uh-huh. Looks as though there's a gate in this fence. If we can get these fish cans out of the way... Hey, Brooksy, you should have brought a friend. We'd have a fourth for bridge. Oh, oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Oh, George, there's been no report of anyone missing in this district. Oh, thanks. I was on my way to your office, Dr. Wormsley, when I saw you heading for the river house. So here I am. Well, kids, let's see what we shall see. It's just an overgrown lot. Uh, That's right. George, you think that if Dr. Wormsley is right, the man would be... Nothing like checking, Brooksy. Dr. Wormsley, you did say that when you saw a man pushing another one off the roof, his back was towards you? If I saw what I thought I saw. That's right. Uh-huh. That would mean he was facing away from you, toward the river. Uh, yes, yes. Well, there's the river behind that high-board fence. 
And on this side of the building, there are only the windows and the elevator shafts and the stairway. So no one would have seen him fall. Mr. Valentine, over here, over here, look. Huh? That, that's a man. I, I mean, it was. Huh? Past tense is putting it mildly. Oh, George. Then it, it wasn't my imagination after all. No. No, Dr. Wormsley, it wasn't. And just to quote a few more odds... It's at least a million to one. This is the body of Philip Dunlap. We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Ballantyne in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about the great American pastime. If you're a baseball fan, check these two tips for getting the most out of this season. Number one, when you're driving to and from the game, use fast-starting Chevron Supreme gasoline. Special blending agents in Chevron Supreme give your car speedy warm-up and quick pickup for traffic getaways. And when it comes to hill climbing, premium quality Chevron Supreme gasoline takes you smoothly over the steepest ones. Number two, at independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations where you can get Chevron Supreme gasoline, there's a grand gift for you. It's a 48-page book about baseball written by Bert Dunn. You'll find in your free copy of Batter Up the fundamentals about this great American sport. One illustrated section shows how to play each different position. Ask for a free copy of Batter Up tomorrow. It's yours at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. And now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. It's only natural for a member of the Bird Watchers Society, even when he's a professional statistician like Dr. Wormsley, to be watching starlings on a penthouse roof. But when instead his binoculars revealed one man pushing another off that self-same roof, well, that's just sort of a case George would get involved in. It's about an hour since George found Philip Dunlap's body in the weed-covered lot back of the apartment building. And now we join George and Claire talking to Lieutenant Riley at Homicide. Yeah, what is it? Uh, Lieutenant Riley, Donnelly just brought Hal Starrett in. Do you want to see him now? No. Let him cool his heels out there a while with Mrs. Dunlap. Yes, sir. Now, about Dr. Wormsley, Lieutenant Riley. Okay, Valentine, okay. When Lieutenant Johnson turned the case over to me, I didn't know what I was getting in for, but I'll do my best to keep your client's name out of the case. Ah, oh, you're a pal. Well, as a matter of fact, Lieutenant, you owe our little bird watcher a debt. He did uncover a murder. Miss Brooks... I don't want to appear ungrateful. Oh, no. I can always use a new murder. Oh? I'm overjoyed that when you and Valentine stumbled over this homicide, you were uh, thoughtful enough to let me know about it. Oh, well, it's nothing at all. If you hadn't, I'd lock both of you up and throw the key away. Well, now that you've had your own sweet self, would you mind telling us what you found out from Mrs. Dunlap? Uh... Well, she said she was out shopping all that afternoon, and the doorman is alibying her. When she got back, this kid, uh, Starrett, was still there, waiting to see his boss, Mr. Dunlap. He hung around a little longer and then beat it. Uh-huh. Did uh, Mrs. Dunlap suggest that there might have been any bad blood between Starrett and her husband? Well, she wasn't too anxious to admit it, but it seems young Starrett was being fired. Yeah, but what was the reason? Bad spelling or making Google eyes at the boss's wife? I wouldn't know. Not yet. Mrs. Dunlap was too broken up to go into every little detail. <laughs> broken up, huh? I can just see her tears flowing like wine. 
What do you mean by that? Uh, well, just thinking out loud. Yes, Lieutenant? You can send Starrett in here now. Yes, sir. Well, it looks to me as though Mr. Starrett has some explaining to do, or else. Well, we know that he was there that afternoon, and your Dr. Wormsley saw a man push Dunlap off the roof. Uh, come in, son. Come in, come in. Lieutenant, Sit I don't down. understand any of this. I. Oh, you. Hello, Starrett. What are you doing here? Just a neighborly interest in the fate of your late employer? Say, what is this? Yes, George, I didn't know you two had met. Well, never mind. Now, what's this about Dunlap deciding to fire you, Starrett? Well, I, uh... Why? He, uh... He didn't like my work, I guess. That's the usual reason, isn't it? You'll save a lot of time if you tell us the truth. You asked me a question, and I gave you the only answer you're going to get. You had a fight with your boss, didn't you? No. In the struggle, you pushed him off the roof. No. A man saw you from an office building. He couldn't have. Oh, Lieutenant. Yes, Donnelly. Can I see you a minute? Yeah, okay. I'll be right back. Hey, tell me something, Starrett. Yes, if you were already fired, why were you so worried about Dunlap? Even going to the Bureau of Missing Persons yourself? Because he was the best friend I ever had. It hardly jives with the story Lieutenant Riley is building up. Hey, Starrett. Yes? You're a college man, aren't you? Oh, what of it? Syracuse, 1942? What? Why, yes, but, but how did you know? This, um, Phi, uh, Phi Beta Kappa, too, aren't you? That's right. But what are you driving at, Lieutenant? Well, uh... This Phi Beta Kappa key. The medical examiner found it clenched in Dunlap's fist. It's yours. I... I don't know how it could have gotten there. He must have ripped the key off your chain as he fell off the roof. Okay, Starrett, I'm arresting you on suspicion of murder. It's nice of you to visit me in jail, Valentine. But what's the use of going over the same story again? Well, Paula will go right... Let's say it intrigues me, Stern. Paula will go right on denying I ever gave her that key. I can't prove it. Why should you believe me any more than anyone else? Because I happen to know a little more about the lady in question. Now, look, friend, let's stop being delicate. Paula decided she liked your type and made you the odd man in the triangle. That's why Dunlap was giving you the gate. Oh, I... I tried to break off with her. But she always managed to be around, taunting me. She had me spinning on my head. Yeah, I know what you mean. Say, did you have a fight with Dunlap when he fired you? No, I... I wish there had been. That would have been easier than the way it was. Go on. He was hurt. And I was sick and ashamed of myself. He knew there were others, and that made the whole thing even cheaper. Now, surely just firing you, Starrett, wasn't the answer for Dunlap. Oh, he knew that. One of my last acts as his secretary was drawing up the papers that cut her out of his will. Now, wait a minute. That just puts you in deeper. That means Paula had no motive. Hey, how about insurance? Well, uh, there was a big policy Philip took out recently with Paula's beneficiary. He didn't change that. Oh, isn't that kind of strange? Oh, it wasn't something he overlooked. There was a funny smile on his face when he told me he was leaving that as is. That's very interesting. Oh, look, Valentine, I didn't kill Philip. When I was there, I didn't even know he was out on the roof. Okay, I'll just take it easy. I'll do what I can. What can you do? You'll never get the truth about that key out of Paula. And Dr. Worse, or Wormsley swears it was a man out there struggling with Philip. What man? A burglar? One of Paula's ex-boyfriends? Or possibly the man on the moon? I think I'll drop in on Paula again. I don't know what I expect to find, but with a gal like that, the unexpected is bound to be interesting. <laughs> It isn't my next-door neighbor. 
What now? Cup of sugar? Couple of eggs? Well, maybe I did make a little fib, but you didn't believe me anyway, did you, Mrs. Dunlap? Paula. Okay, Paula. Too bad about young Sterrett, isn't it? What a thing to say to a grief-stricken widow. Can I get you anything? We may as well make ourselves comfortable. <laughs> You've got a head start in those lounging pajamas. They're really something. <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to notice them. Hey, you know, I never appreciated before what lounging pajamas can do for a woman. Didn't you? No, no. I might say if she were out on a roof and someone happened to see her from Dr. Wormsley's window, he might mistake her for a man. If he'd never seen a woman before. His office is more than two blocks away. But uh, to get back to our hypothetical woman, yeah. how much do you guess she'd have coming to her if her husband were murdered and there was a nice fat insurance policy, the only thing he didn't cut her out of? We've gotten a long way from lounging pajamas. Oh, I don't know. And I can't help wondering what the lady in question would do if she had a perfect patsy and a difficult young man who was suffering pangs of conscience. She might even do something brash. If she happened to remember the Phi Beta Kappa key he gave her in a tender moment. Tell me, have you confided these flights of fancy to anyone else? Oh, no, my sweet. I wanted you to be the first to know. And you, my sweet, will ruin your eyes reading all those pulp magazines. There's another angle to this lady of the rooftop. Oh, what's that? Hmm, with all the insurance money she's sure to get. With an admiring eye for a certain broad-shouldered character who seems to know what it's all about. Oh, she might make life very pleasant for him. Very. Hmm. Uh, you couldn't say he knew what it was all about if he fell for a pitch like that now, could you? Oh. I'd better get my cigarette before we go on with this little game. Or you can quit playing any time you want to. My dear old father used to play a lot of poker. He used to say the game was never over till the last bluff was called. Uh-huh. Didn't your old man tell you that even one of those effeminate-looking automatics make a loud noise and leave holes when they go off? I have a permit for this gun. Uh-oh. Come on now, Paula. Let's see if you can answer that phone with one hand. You know, Georgie, that could be your next to the last glib remark. When that phone stops ringing, you're going to worry yourself into a tizzy, trying to guess who it was. We've been supposing a lot of things here tonight. Now, let me top it off. Suppose they found you draped on the floor there with a bullet in your head. Okay, what then? I was in bed when I heard sounds in the living room. I opened the door. There was a figure in the darkness. After everything I'd been through, I didn't stop to think. I shot the prowler. I gotta hand it to you, Paula. Skip it. Just sit there on the couch a few minutes till I get my story straight. When I shoot you, I may have to tell the story a dozen times tonight, so it's got to be perfect. Okay, you stalled too long. You missed your chance, beautiful. It'd be a mistake to shoot me now. What are you talking about? Behind you. There's somebody out there on the penthouse roof. How you know I'm smarter than that? Well, who's... I'll take the point out. Oh, you... Drop it. Go, that's you. Oh, George, there you are. I tried to call, and then I remembered about the empty penthouse next door and the adjoining sun deck, and... Oh, for Pete's sake, somebody say something. Oh, just a little... Parlor game, Brooksy. Uh, yes, yes. I, I was just showing Mr. Valentine how I almost mistook him for an intruder. Oh. Uh, Lieutenant Raleigh will probably find it very amusing when we tell him about it. Oh. <laughs> that ain't the way I see it. For the time being, Angel, we have to see things Paula's way. But more important right now is to see if we can get a man out of bed. Hello, 
trouble at all, Valentine. Don't mind selling a little insurance any time of the night. Are these all representative policies, Bennett? Yes, sir. Anything you want, we've got it. Life, accident, comprehensive liability, tornado insurance, plate glass. Any insurance against fatality during parlor games? Uh, what's that, Miss Brooks? Just a private show. This life insurance policy. Oh, any amount you want. Just a simple physical... Well, these clauses at the beginning, they're pretty standard in all life insurance policies, aren't they? Yes, indeed. Each one of them meant to protect policyholder and the company. What's up, George? Well, uh, thanks a lot, Bennett. You've been a great help. Yeah, but look, old man... Sorry, shopping around, but I'll keep you in mind. Let's go, Brooksy. Brooksy, first thing in the morning, I want you to check with all the druggists in this section of town around Riverhouse, Dr. Wormsley's office, 20 or 30 blocks in each direction. Oh, my aching I'm going to be with Lieutenant Riley. I hate to think of his blood pressure when I mention one little word. Order, please. That's the word. Darling, sign, if I had any hair, I'd tear it out. What are you talking about? Well, now, look, it can't do any harm, Lieutenant. No one in his right mind can doubt how Dunlap died. This Wormsley saw him shoved off the roof. Then the body was found sprawled all over an empty lot, 12 floors below. Cause and effect. I have every reason to doubt that Sterrett killed Dunlap. Uh, I suppose you're going to tell me Mrs. Dunlap killed him, huh? That she used to be the strong woman in the circus. I didn't say she killed him. Then who... What? Ah, for the love of heaven. How about that autopsy, Lieutenant? Doctor, will you tell Valentine here that he's just been wasting our time? I wouldn't say that, Lieutenant. Huh? What'd you find? Enough poison in Dunlap to stop an army dead in its tracks. All right. All right, I can't argue with the laboratory. But I don't get it, Valentine. How many times do you kill a man? Poison, throw him off the roof. Ah, it's a wonder we didn't find a knife at his back, too. Doctor, just how does this particular poison work? Instantly. Every muscle in the body becomes rigid all at once and stays that way. Uh-huh. Then it's possible that after a couple of days, the effects of the poison could be mistaken for rigor mortis. Not only possible, Mr. Valtan. It seems just what happened. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If Dunlap's fist was clenched like that the moment the poison took effect, how did that five-beta copper key get in his hand? That's the point, Lieutenant. It was forced into it. And certainly Hal Starrett didn't do it. That does it. That does it. I'm going to have Paula Dunlap picked up, and she'd better have all the answers. Oh, no. No, Mrs. Dunlap, you're going to have to do better than that. I know how it looks, Lieutenant Raleigh, but you're wrong. Believe me. Paula, you had to be the one who put that key in your husband's hand. Sterrett wouldn't sign his own death warrant. I know, but Here I... are the facts the jury will hear. You were the man Wormsley saw wearing lounging pajamas. You had the motive, the insurance money, so you poisoned Mr. Dunlap, then pushed him off the roof to implicate an innocent man. All right. All right, I'll tell you just what happened. Remember, Mrs. Dunlap, you're doing this of your own free will. Hal Sterrett left that afternoon. I went out on the roof for a moment. Philip was there, an empty highball glass next to him. He was dead. Oh, don't look at me that way. He was already dead. He'd committed suicide. How do you know that? There was a note. Cruel note. Saying that I was the cause of all the unhappiness in his life. He was leaving me without a cent. Okay. I suppose you have the note. No. 
Oh, I destroyed it. Oh, no, that wasn't very smart. Don't you see? I had to. So no one would ever find out it was suicide. Now, wait a minute. There was a clause in his policy. It's in most policies. Saying that if he killed himself within the first year, the beneficiary wouldn't get a cent. That much is true, Lieutenant. What I did was wrong, but I wasn't going to let Philip leave me without a cent. That'll stand up in court, won't it? Even though I did destroy the note, they'll believe me, won't they? Since you ask my opinion, the answer's no. But my job is finished now. Oh, no, no. George. I... George. Hey, how goes it, Brooksy? What luck? You were right. I found out what you wanted to know at the Gotham Pharmacy on Morton Boulevard. Now what? What am I going to do? I've got to find a way to prove I'm innocent. This isn't fair. Remembering that gun you held in my face and Hal Starrett, I'm tempted to keep my mouth shut and let you stew in your own juice. What do you mean? Me and you both. I don't know what charge you're going to hold her on, Lieutenant. But it won't be murder. What? Did you hear what he said, Lieutenant? What are you talking about, Valentine? Brooksy just found out that Philip Dunlap bought that poison himself at the Gotham Pharmacy. On a doctor's prescription he forged. Oh, George. Oh, how can I ever thank you? Oh, that's easy. The next time you're up on that roof alone, see if you can prove the law of gravity really works. that was sort of a morbid joke for Dunlap to play on his wife? Well, Angel, Paula played a few pretty grim jokes herself. Yes, but to leave her name in that insurance policy, knowing that she wouldn't get a penny. Crime, punishment, so forth. Oh, uh, hello. Anybody here? Oh, oh Dr. Burns. I just thought I'd drop in and take care of that little bill I owe you. Oh, thanks. Um, how do the birds look these days, Doctor? Uh, what? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, that reminds me. I must thank you, Valentine, for keeping my name out of the Dunlap case. After all, I was the key witness, and I... Uh, Oh, dear. Well, that's all washed up now. Uh, thank goodness. Oh, yes. Hmm? Mrs. Dunlap isn't living there anymore, you know. No? It seems three young ladies are sharing that apartment now. And yesterday... Why, Dr. Wormsley, oh. what kind of birds are you watching now? Oh, well, uh, they, uh, they were very wild canaries. Oh, goodness. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> Now, a message of importance to motorists. If this is the time of year your family gets travel-minded, it's probably the time you start thinking about new tires. And you know which make of tire gives you a written warranty against ordinary road hazards? The answer is easy. Atlas tires. That's right. Each new Atlas passenger tire is warranted for 12 months against blowouts, cuts, and bruises that might happen to ordinary tires. And each Atlas tire has a double warranty. First, by the manufacturer, and second, by the distributor. Another thing to keep in mind when you're buying tires is a two or four wear better than an uneven number. Give you softer riding and easier car handling. For that extra margin of safety, get Atlas tires at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... Well, Brooksy, looks like playing Big Brother a la Spencer Tracy didn't work out. Eddie beat it while I was shaving. Oh, that crazy little kid. Yeah, he left this note. He's on the prowl. The quote, he's going after Stan Lucas. Oh, no. What can we do, George? I've got to stop him somehow. Hey, listen, you look up Emily. Maybe she can give us a clue how we can find Eddie. Okay, George. And remember, Brooksy, it's a race against time. <laughs> 
Stay tuned for The Aldridge Family next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Aldridge Family and a show that first aired in 1947. Grape Nuts and Grape Nuts Flakes present... Henry! Henry Aldridge! Coming, Mother! The Aldridge Family! Yum, 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 my the Aldridge family, based on characters originated by Clifford Goldsmith and starring Ezra Stone as Henry with Jackie Kalk as Homer, is brought to you by Grape Nuts and Grape Nuts Flakes. Hey, I hear there's sugar roasted. And now for the Aldridge family. A teenage boy may have his ups and downs, but he's never halfway between. Henry Aldridge, for instance, never walks when he can run, and never smiles when he can laugh. And when he's late for dinner, he's good and late. The scene opens at the Aldrich dinner table. Sam, could I get you another piece of pie? No, thank you. What time is it now? It, it's a little after 6.30, dear. Oh, yes? Seems to me it was a little after 6.30, half an hour ago. Why, now that I look again, it, yes, it's getting on towards 7, but Sam... I'm sure Henry will be home any minute, Father. Why don't you put him right out of your mind and digest your coffee and newspaper? Mary, I can think of nothing more enjoyable than being able to put Henry right out of my mind. But after all, dear, he's only a little late, and... A little late? When we've already finished dinner? Well, I'm not trying to defend him, but we did eat quickly. And my goodness, Father, Henry was much later than this the night before last, and you didn't say a thing, Mary. Exactly. He's been late for dinner three days in a row, and he's late for breakfast every day. It's time I put my foot down. Well, the only thing is... Dear, don't think I'm criticizing, but couldn't you just put your foot down gently all the time and instead of stamping it down only every once in a while and scaring us all to death? Are you insinuating that I'm not a good father? Why, no, dear. My of goodness, of course you're a good father, father. Of course you are, dear. <laughs> but won't you let me handle Henry this once? You've been handling Henry too long as it is. Sam, are you insinuating that I'm not a good mother? My goodness, Father, look out the window. Here he comes. Where? See, he's coming up the street, pulling a wagon. Yes. What time is it? it it's a little after 6.30, Sam. <laughs> look at him, ambling along as though he had all the time in the world. Well, yes, but... What has he got on that wagon? It looks like pop bottles. Huh. Now, what's he stopping for? He's probably tying his shoelace. He's picking a bottle up out of the gutter. <laughs> Look at him standing there, looking at it. It's all right, Sam. He's putting it back in the gutter. Mother, do you think I should go out and tell him to hurry? You stay where you are, Mary. This is very interesting. Look at that. But, dear, what's wrong with stopping to pat a dog? Look, isn't that thoughtful of him? He's offering the dog a candy. Only it won't take it. I dare say the dog knew enough to go home in time to get its dinner. <laughs> 
Henry, come in here. Could we let him eat first, Father, before we scold him? Hello, everybody. Is dinner ready yet? Boy, I'm starved. I'll go and heat something up. Alice, stay here. But, say, Boy, what a time I've been having. Father, are you going to get a surprise? Henry, are you going to get a surprise? <laughs> Henry, do you realize what time it is? Why? You've I... been eating your meals here for a good many years now, and you're aware of the fact that your mother serves dinner promptly at 6 o'clock. You mean it isn't 6 o'clock yet? Sam, why don't you buy him a watch? Henry, according to your mother, it's a little after 6.30. It is? Well, gee whiz, I have to be someplace at half past 7. I'll have to eat dinner in a hurry. If you've been interested in dinner, you would have been here at 6 o'clock. Now, please go to your room. You mean I'm going to eat dinner in my room? I mean, son, you're not going to eat dinner at all. Sam. Father. You mean you wait everything up? <laughs> Henry, stop arguing and go up to your room. Sure, Father. Well, that's perfectly all right. I'm not hungry anyway. So, supposing I go and sit in my room... Good. ...until a quarter after seven... You will sit in your room until I tell you to come out. But, Father, I have to be someplace at half past seven. When you were rummaging around the streets picking up bottles, did it occur to you that you had to be someplace at six o'clock? Father, I wasn't... Now, look, I told you to do something. But, Father... Henry! Yes, Father. <laughs> and I hope you enjoyed your dinner. That roast beef certainly smells good. <laughs> Sam Aldrich, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Ashamed? Why should I be? As a matter of fact, Alice, I believe I will have that piece of pie now. Yes? Well, you'll find it in the kitchen. All right, Mother. The coast is clear. Good. You go on downstairs, Mary, and be on the lookout for your father. As soon as I get this sandwich into Henry, I'll come down, too. All right, Mother. Henry? Oh, Henry? Yes, Mother? Alice? Oh, dear. Alice, what on earth are you doing? I'm just standing here eating a sandwich, dear. Yeah? Would you, would you like a bite? No, thank you, Alice. I just finished my dinner. Mother, what did you call me for? I didn't call you, Henry. Are you eating something, Mother? <laughs> yes, a, a sandwich. Is it good? Yes. <laughs> it's delicious. Come along, Alice. Henry's up here in his room, Homer. Yes, has he finished his dinner, Mrs. Aldrich? No, he hasn't. The Homer don't mention food to him. Why not? Hey, Henry, are you in here? Yeah. Well, hi. Hi. Gee, does that roast beef you had for dinner smell good? Boy, my one chance, my one big chance to earn that pipe I've been wanting at the Haven's Drugstore. A pipe, Henry? Yeah, and I have to stay here in my room. Gee whiz, do you think I'm old enough to smoke a pipe, too? It isn't for me. It's for my father's birthday next week. Oh. Well, I guess he's old enough. <laughs> Gee whiz, Mr. DeHaven gave me a job to do, and all I have to do is have it done by 9 o'clock tonight, and he'll pay me the pipe. What's the job, Henry? Is it mixing sodas? Maybe I could do it for you, if it's mixing sodas. Boy, Homer, would you? You see the small pile of overdue bills? All you have to do is go around and collect them all by 9 o'clock. Oh, well, I don't think I'd be any good at collecting money. Sure you would, Homer. Henry, just before I came over here, I tried to collect an advance on next week's allowance from my father. And boy... Well, you just weren't persistent enough. Oh, yeah? I was so persistent, I'm not going to get any allowance at all. <laughs> 
But look, Homer, I've already collected five bills, and that's not counting Mrs. Clark, who paid me off with a wagon load of ginger ale bottles. Well, I'd like to, Henry, only my doctor says I have to take it easy. Okay. That's all right, Homer. Naturally, I can't force you to help me. And will you please stop swinging on my bedpost? I won't hurt myself, Henry. I've been doing this since I was a kid, and I've never fallen yet. Ouch! Boy. I did that on purpose. Henry, stop that racket! Now, look what you did, Homer. My father thought that was me. He thought that... Homer! Henry, you're choking me! Homer, my father thought you were me. Don't you realize what that means? It means he's crazy and let go. Listen, Homer, if you were to stay here in my room for an hour or so, see, and move around from time to time... Oh, no, Henry, oh, no. Homer, who'd know the difference? I could get out the back way and collect those bills, and all you'll have to do is sit here. But, Henry, my doctor says I should be out getting some exercise. Yes? Good evening, Mr. Collins. Oh, is that Henry Aldridge? Yes, sir. Gee, how are you anyway, sir? I'm fine, thank you. And Mrs. Collins? She's fine, thank you. And the children? What children? Oh. <laughs> well, speaking of children, Mr. Collins... You bought some ice cream and stuff from Mr. DeHaven last October. Yeah, I don't remember that. About $2 worth. About $2 worth? Well, to be more exact, exactly $2 worth. Here's the bill, Mr. Collins. Oh, yes. I guess it must have slipped your mind. The only thing is, Henry, I'm a little short tonight. Uh, but look, uh, do you know Mr. Dixon over at 23 Maple Street? I don't think so. He owes me two fifty. So you go on over there and collect from him and say I sent you. two fifty. And you just give me 50 cents. Oh, Gee whiz, the only thing is I haven't much time. I, I sort of have a friend sitting in for me at home. I mean, well, are, are you sure I'll be able to collect from Mr. Dixon? Sure thing. Well, here's your 50 cents, but, gee, I sure... And, Henry, when you get back to the drugstore, will you tell the Haven to send me up a carton of cigarettes? Sure. Would you like to pay me for them now? No, no. Just tell him to charge it. <laughs> Look, are you sure Mr. Dixon isn't home at all? No, and I can't stand here in the doorway and talk, young man. I have to phone these high school girls. Uh, but, but look, it's only $2.50. Well, come on in the house for a minute. Shall I look in my purse? Yes, here you are. Gee, thanks. Young man, do you know any high school girls? Oh, my goodness. What's the matter with you? What's that? Of course. You'll do. I just have to go out for an hour, and the baby just never wakes up once she gets to sleep. The baby? <laughs> yes, and if she does, you can find a bottle in the icebox. Uh, hey, wait, I have too many bottles now. Now, where's my clothes? Uh, Mrs. Dixon, I can't stay with your baby. I have to get back to Homer. I won't be long. Her name's Diane. Diane? But what about Homer? <laughs> Oh, boy. Henry. Where will I hide? Where will I hide? May I come in? Now, Henry, I didn't say you had to go to bed. You might as well get up. I know you're not asleep with those covers over your head. You know, son, your family seems to think I've been pretty hard on you, sending you up here without your dinner, but... 
I did it for your own good. You realize that, don't you? Henry? Henry, answer me. <laughs> now, there's no need to cry, Henry. <laughs> Look, son, I don't like to have to punish you. This, this being late for meals might be only a stage you're going through, but sometimes you just don't seem to be our son at all. I don't like to criticize your friends, Henry, but I sometimes wonder if you're not seeing too much of Homer Brown. What? Henry, you sound as though you're suffocating. Well, we won't talk about it anymore. Here, son, I brought you a piece of pie. Now, see here, Henry, don't just stick your hand out from under the covers. Come on out and get it. Oh, boy. Now, look, that's enough fooling around. Come on. Henry, let go of those covers. What's got into you? There. Hello, Mr. Aldrich. What are you doing here? Hello? Hello, is that Mr. Foster? Well, my name is Henry Aldrich, and did you know you owe Mr. DeHaven $7.36 from last July? You'll pay it? Swell. Well, there's only one other thing. Would you consider coming over here to 23 Maple Street with it? I have to stay here with a baby, seeing. But, but, Mr. Foster, all the other customers are doing it. Well, some of them are. Well, one of them is. Mr. Foster. Mr. Fo- Boy, that's a fine thing. Good evening. Uh, good evening. Uh, are you the boy from DeHaven? Yes, sir. You must be Mr. Wright. Uh, that's right. Boy, come on in. I sure appreciate your coming over here. Now, uh, how much did you say my bill was? Sixty-seven cents. Uh, very well. Uh, here you are. Thanks. Oh, gee, I can't change ten dollars. Would you mind just giving me the sixty cents in cents? Oh, I'm sorry, young man, but this is the smallest I have. Well, look, why don't I do this? Why don't I run down to a store and get it changed? Well, And I... you can stay with the baby. What baby? Diane. You won't have a bit of trouble. She just never wakes up once she gets to sleep. And if she does, you'll find the bottle in the ice box. Dear me, Mr. Weast, what a predicament. Oh, come now, Mr. Wright, taking care of a sleeping baby? Well, there's nothing to it. If the baby wakes up and starts crying, would you know what to do? Would I? Now, just you listen to this. Yum, 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 my Emily. Great nut flakes are good by Jiminy. Sugar roasted new and better. They're richer now in sweet malt sugar. Sugar roasted good by Jiminy. Great nut flakes, yum, yum, my Emily. Yes, even a baby will start smiling when it hears that happy tune. And it's nothing like the smiles you'll see when sugar roasted grape nuts flakes are served. That wonderful sugar roasted flavor just hits the right spot. And remember, this one delicious flavor comes in two delicious forms. Grape nuts, crisp, crunchy kernels, and grape nuts flakes, tempting, toasty brown flakes. That's grape nuts and grape nuts flakes. They're sugar roasted. And now, getting back to the troubles of Henry Aldrich. When Henry arrived home late for dinner, Mr. Aldrich felt he should be punished. But the reason for Henry's lateness was that he was trying to earn a pipe for his father's birthday present. 
The scene opens under a streetlight on Centerville's main street. Oh, boy. Hey, mister. Mister, could you give me a hand here? Henry. Oh, boy. Uh, Father, is that you? How long did you think you could foist Homer off on me? But, Father... what on earth are you doing lying on your face on the sidewalk? Well, I have to get my face right down on this grating to see where my ten dollars is. What ten dollars? The one down in this hole. Father, under the grating, it it blew out of my hand. Do you realize that you disobeyed me? Do you realize I have been combing this town for you? Sure, Father, but I can explain everything. Get up. Yes, sir. You see... There was this thing I wanted, only I can't tell you what it is. And I just had to collect some bills, only I got held up with this baby, see? A baby owed you a bill? No, Father, it was her father. Well, he didn't owe it to me. He owed it to another man, and I gave him 50 cents because it was a bill from last October. Henry, are you trying to tell me that you owed somebody 50 cents since last October? After all the times I've told you never to borrow money? No, Father, I just borrowed the baby, and then it fell down this grating. What? Not the baby, the ten dollars. Oh, boy. Father, just let me explain one thing to you. Henry, let me explain one thing to you. You were to march right straight home and go up to your room and stay there. Do you understand? But, Father, that $10 belongs to a man over at 23 Maple Street. I'll get the $10 out of here. All I have to do is reach in for it. Now, go on home. Yes, Father, I'm going. Don't stop to talk to anybody and don't come back. Yes, Father. Now, then. If I could just get my arm. Henry! Henry, my arm is caught in the grating. Henry, come back! Mother, you mean you really do? Of course, Henry. I follow you perfectly. Well, gee whiz, how is it I can always make you understand? Father always gets me mixed up. Oh, it's very clear to me, dear. You've had a date since last October to mind Mr. Dixon's baby. What? And he said he'd give you his best pipe that he found down underneath a grating if you'd collect $10 that Mr. DeHaven owed him for some bottles. Now, Mother, I guess you didn't understand. Now, Henry, didn't you say you wanted to get a pipe as a present for your father? Yeah, sure. Gee, if I made that clear, that's all that matters. For Father's Day? No, for Father's birthday. Oh. Hey, Henry. I'm in the living room, Homer, with my mother. All over for you. Your father caught me in your room. And boy, it's a good thing I found you before he did. Homer, you're too late. No, I'm not, Hen. I've got it all figured out. You can hide in my basement for the next few days. Now, Homer, he isn't going to do any such thing. His father said he was to go straight to his room. But, Mother, I just have to collect six more of these bills before nine o'clock. Wouldn't you consider letting me go out for only half an hour? No, dear. Your father's going around saying that I spoil you. Look, Mother, do you suppose there's a way that I could collect the money and still not leave my room at all? Wait a minute. Now, Mr. Allridge, for the last time, if you don't stay down on your knees, there's nothing I can do for you. How long do you think I can hold this position? My back's nearly broken. Well, you're going to get your arm broken if you don't hold it. Well, then kindly hurry up. You realize I had to walk six blocks with this grate on my arm? Yes, Mr. Allridge. But I can say I like your attitude. Do you realize I closed this hardware store two hours ago and I came from clear across town to help you Yes, of course. I didn't mean to. And I'm doing the very best I can. I realize that, Mr. Jackson, and I appreciate it very much. All right. Now, see if you can hold still. Very well, Mr. Aldridge. If that's your attitude, you can go straight to the blacksmith.
Mrs. Walker. This is Alice Aldrich. I just thought I'd phone and give you that chocolate cake recipe you've been wanting. Well, yes, it's always been a family secret, but I just decided there's no point in being selfish about it. Oh, and by the way, Mrs. Walker, did you know that you owed a Haven's drugstore $9.13? Yes, of course you'd forgotten about it, dear. Supposing I send Homer Brown over to pick it up, and then he'll be glad to give you the recipe. <laughs> Hello? Hello, are you still there, Doris? Well, I know I'm not home. I'm sitting here in some stranger's house minding a baby. <laughs> no, dear, a baby. I know, dear, but listen. I gave a young boy $10 and he was going to change it. No, dear, change the $10. Oh, but dear, you don't understand. Dear? Goodbye, dear. Excuse me, is your name right? Uh, yes, uh, are you the father? Why, yes. Well, I'm certainly glad you're here. Uh, come on in. Thank you. Uh, just a minute now. If I can manage to get my billfold out. I uh, I notice your arm is in a sling. Were you in an accident? Yes. Uh, here, Here's your $10. Uh, thank you. I'll just get my coat. Uh, say, wait a minute. Uh, where did you get the $10? Look, I'm trying to forget. Kindly take the money and let's not talk about it. Well, that suits me. I'll drop into the Havens and pay that bill on my way home. Uh, good evening. Oh, here, wait. I'm leaving, too. Oh, no, no, you can't. Your wife isn't home. Oh. You'll have to stay with the baby. Oh. Uh, good evening. Good evening. Mr. Wright! Wait a minute! What baby? <laughs> What time is it? It's, it's just a little after nine o'clock, Mother. Henry, it must be an hour since you said it was only a little before nine o'clock. Gee, I'm sure Father will be home any minute. After all, he's only two hours late. Oh, let's see that pipe again, Henry. Here. Boy, isn't it a beauty? I'll say. And was Mr. DeHaven surprised when I took in all the money? Yeah? He said to tell you you were the best bill collector he ever had. Gee, Mother, and to think that chocolate cake has been a family secret for generations. Henry! Yes, Mary? I have the tissue paper out here in the kitchen. Do you want to wrap Father's pie? Sure, Mary. Can we do it up real fancy-like? You better step on it, Hen, so your father doesn't see it. Homer, what time is it now? Alice! Sam. Oh, boy, I'm going home. Good night, Mrs. Aldrich. Are you in the living room, Alice? Sam Aldrich, where have you been? Alice, I can explain everything. Oh, my goodness, your arm. You've been in an accident. No, Alice, this wouldn't have happened if Mr. Jackson hadn't lost his temper. All I said was, ouch. He'd say, ouch, too, if I was twisting his arm off. So that's it. You've been fighting. Fighting? At your age. Listen to me, Alice. This $10 bill fell down a grating, and I got my arm caught in it trying to reach the money. Was Mr. Jackson trying to reach the money, too? No, dear. I had to lift the whole grating off with my arm still in it, and then I had to get down into the hole and get the $10. You mean Mr. Jackson pushed you in? No, no. I got in by myself. And Mr. Jackson wouldn't let you out? Alice, forget about Mr. Jackson! Well, my goodness, you didn't yell. Frankly, if that's the way you were, I don't blame him for hitting you. Alice, listen. Mr. Jackson did not hit me. Mr. Jackson didn't do a thing except bite my head off. Then why are you so late? Because I've been minding the baby. What baby? Well, you see, I went... Uh, Mr... Never mind, you wouldn't believe it anyway. <laughs> Mother, have you got a longer piece of ribbon I could tie around the... Henry! This... Oh, gee whiz. Why aren't you in your room? Oh, I'm going, Father, but... D do you mind my asking what happened to your arm? Mr. Jackson bit him, dear. <laughs> Henry, wait a minute. What's that you're holding behind your back? Oh, boy. Well, it isn't anything, Father, just... 
Just some tissue paper. Yes, in that case, let me have it, please. Sam. Father, couldn't you just wait a day or so? I mean... Hand it over. Yes, sir. What's in here, another pop bottle? No, sir, it's... It's... Well... Happy birthday, Father. Only I certainly hadn't planned it this way. You mean this is... Uh, this pipe is... It's your birthday present, Sam. It is? For my birthday? And Henry earned it himself, collecting bills. That's why he left his room, and incidentally, why he was late for dinner. Well. Well. You see, Alice? It's a pipe. <laughs> well, it, it's about the best-looking one I've ever seen. Boy, Father, do you really like it? Yes, indeed, Henry. And Well, thank you, son. He earned it, Sam. Yes, Alice, I know. Well, Henry, so you earned it. Yes, sir. Well. And you know the next thing I'm going to earn, Father? A watch, so I won't ever be late for dinner again. Well, son, you couldn't help being late. Sometimes things happen, Henry, that are beyond our control. But just the same, Father, it's not going to happen again. You see this stack of bills? Yes. Mr. DeHaven sent them up here with Homer. He said if I can do as good a job collecting these, he'll pay me a watch. Well, I think that's very commendable, Henry. When do you start? Right now. Father, did you know you owe Mr. DeHaven $12 and a quarter from before Christmas? I knew a character who prided himself on never being late except once. Well, what happened that time, Mr. Zip? Well, his character sets out for his own wedding 240 miles upstate, but along comes a blizzard and stops the train. So he hires a horse and sleigh, but the horse gives up, climbs up into the sleigh, and goes sound asleep. No. Yes. So next he gets a sled and a dog team, but the dogs wear out and give up. So then my friend gets out his skis, tugs three dogs under each arm, and mushes all the way to the church just in time to prevent the best man from eloping with his girl. Man, what energy. Why, he must have been eating grape nuts. He was. He told me. Them sugar-roasted grape nuts. Any objections? Nary a one, Mr. Zip. I like a little mushing myself. And (laughs) And friends, while you may not want to plow through blizzards, it's great to have the energy so you plow through the day's work like lightning. And it is grape nuts for energy. Grape nuts for important bodybuilding food values of the whole grain. And don't forget, this one delicious flavor comes in two delicious forms. Grape nuts, crisp, crunchy kernels, and grape nuts flakes, tempting, toasty brown flakes. They're both sugar-roasted, crisply toasted, naturally nourishing. Did you lock all the doors, Sam? Yes, dear. (sighs) What a day. Goodness, where did you get this? Fine. This great big handkerchief. Alice, that isn't a handkerchief, and I'll have to return it to Diane tomorrow. Who's Diane? Well, you see, Alice, it's. The Aldrich family was used by the. Jack Miller is based on characters originated by Clifford Goldsmith and stars Ezra Stone as Henry with Jackie Kalk as Homer. Mr. and Mrs. Aldrich are House Jamison and Catherine Roth. And this is Dwight Reese saying the Aldrich family was brought to you by Grape Nuts and Grape Nuts Flakes. They're sugar roasted. Listen again next week.
week, same time, same station, to another sparkling half hour with the Aldridge family. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with the FBI in Peace and War, followed by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.